Today, we're talking about time management. Reflecting back on my childhood, I don't know exactly how I learned to manage time. I think I do a pretty decent job of it. I guess I probably just learned by doing trial and error. Now, as a mom with kids who are getting older, I find that time management is something that I'm teaching them, sometimes consciously and direct, sometimes unconsciously. Some kids develop executive function skills like time management pretty naturally on their own, and some need more direct instruction. And if you're a parent who is pretty good at time management yourself, you might find that you're taking on more of that task than you need to be. And when we do that as parents, when we take things on ourselves, sometimes we take away opportunities for kids to learn. So today we're talking a little bit more about teaching time management, which is an important skill in our busy, busy world. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Danae here. Today we're talking all about time management for kids, and maybe you'll pick up a few tips for adults along the way too. A few years ago, I think it was my son's birthday when he was turning five. All he wanted was a watch, and we gave him a watch. And as soon as he put it on, he said, can you make it say 2.30? And I said, well, no, it's only 11 o'clock. And he said, but I want it to be 2.30. Can you please make it 2.30? At that moment, I became acutely aware of how abstract time can be. He had a play date at 2.30, and he wanted to literally fast forward time to make it time for his play date. He had no conception of the fact that I didn't control the time. He literally thought I was the boss of the time. Which makes a lot of sense because I am usually the one walking around the house saying, we have five minutes, we have ten minutes, it's nine o'clock or it's six o'clock. So since I'm the one that talks about the time the most, it may lead one to believe that I'm in control of the time and I set the time. But time really comes from this higher power that is beyond the control of any of us. And to a young child with a developing brain, it's hard to grasp that. Time always felt pretty easy for me to manage when I was a kid and even into my college years. I credit this mostly to high-functioning anxiety, being really oriented towards the time, being worried about being late, being worried about not meeting deadlines. Those worries and anxieties always led me to reference the clock often. I don't necessarily think that's the case for everybody. Maybe take a minute to reflect on yourself and how frequently you reference the time. You know, after college, married life, having kids, time management has become much more complex because not only am I managing my own time, but I'm managing the time of my kids too. I am kind of a time boss. And that's necessary in the early years. Because babies, toddlers, even preschoolers don't have the ability to grasp and understand how to manage time. So we have to do it for them. But as they grow, we can slowly hand that control over to them. Maybe I shouldn't say control. Maybe I should say responsibility. 
And you're for sure already doing this in little ways all the time. But today I want to give you some examples of some of the intricacies of time management that you're probably already doing but don't recognize that you're doing. And you may or may not need to teach your kids some of these things. Some things like prioritization, for example, are a really important part of time management. And maybe you already do this automatically. So it feels second nature to you. But you might have a kid that struggles with prioritizing what's most important. So they may need a little more instruction, a little more direction. As parents, we need to be careful to think about time management challenges as lagging skills, things that need to be learned, rather than things that need to be shamed. Why are you always late? Now is not the time to clean your room. It's the time to brush your teeth and get dressed. In the past, I've had this running joke with my husband that every time we're about to host guests for dinner or a get-together at our house, he always decides it's time to use the leaf blower in the garage and clean out the garage. I'm like, why are you leaf blowing the garage? Why are you cleaning the garage? Nobody's going to see our garage. Can you come in the house and help me vacuum the house? (laughs) An example of prioritization. And that's also an example of shaming a lagging skill of prioritization. You know, there's two ways I could have said that. What are you doing? Why are you leaf blowing the garage? Nobody's going to be in our garage. Versus, hey, yeah, I see that the garage is dirty, but I think that we're going to be spending most of our time in the living room and in the dining room. Can you come inside and vacuum the rugs in here? I think that's more of a priority. So getting into the tips for today, the first is really introducing the concept of time. And I think we often assume that kids are going to mostly get this in school, understanding hours versus minutes versus seconds. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have analog clocks. Many kids grow up using almost exclusively digital clocks, digital watches. And so much is lost in that. With an analog clock, you actually see the passage of time. You can see how fast each of the hands move. The hour hand creeps along, the minute hand moves a little more quickly, and the second hand is ticking away. So we can explain these things to our kids. Seconds are the fastest, minutes are a little slower, hours are the longest. But for them to actually see it, it helps them to grasp it. Not only are they able to see how fast the hands are moving, but they're able to feel the passage of time. If you were to tell me, hey, Danae, I'll be there in 15 minutes, somewhere in my head, I visualize a clock with sort of one-fourth of the clock being highlighted. I don't know, think about that for you when someone says, I'll be there in 15 minutes. You may also pull up some kind of image of a clock in your head, and you know that that is one-fourth of an hour. And after years and years of referencing clocks and noticing time, especially analog clocks, you know what 15 minutes feels like, more or less. Now, this is not a skill that everybody learns naturally. So if you have a hard time doing this, if you have a hard time feeling the passage of time, maybe you need more practice with analog clocks, even as an adult. So when I was teaching my kids the difference between seconds and minutes and hours, I came up with this little verbal descriptor, especially if we were going in the car somewhere, and they would say, how long is it going to take to get there? And I would say seconds, minutes, and hours based on the length of time it took. So if it took 30 seconds to drive down the road, I would say 30 seconds. If it took 30 minutes, I would say 30 minutes in a normal voice. If it took 30 hours to get to our destination, I would say 30 hours, right? Because the slowest versus the fastest. 
So I think that really helped my kids to grasp the difference between the different units of time. So if you have a kid that's struggling between understanding minutes versus hours versus seconds, you could try that in addition to having the analog clock where they can see it. An analog clock, preferably with a second hand. So I think you should have analog clocks even before kids are old enough to read clocks because you're starting to reference them. You're starting to draw the importance to them. You can point them out. We're leaving when the big hand gets to the 12. I mean, you could say that even to a three or four-year-old once a kid recognizes numbers. I would suggest having analog clocks in nearly every room of your home, especially in the area where the drop zone is, the area where you tend to be rushing them around. Five more minutes until the bus comes. Have an analog clock in that room. We're going to pause for a one-minute word from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today is Just Thrive. Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Calm are here to help you reclaim your health, your happiness, and your peace of mind. Probiotics are a very important part of our day. Everybody in my house takes one. And Just Thrive has been so easy and effective for my kids. I simply open up the capsule, sprinkle it onto some applesauce or some yogurt, and move on with my day. Just Thrive's probiotic formula is clinically proven to balance your gut. This is huge because as much as 90% of Americans have an overgrowth of bad bacteria in their gut. So not only will Just Thrive Probiotic help you to stay ahead of things like gas, bloat, and constipation, but when your gut is balanced and healthy, you'll be able to handle stress so much better. Right now, when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use the promo code SIMPLE, you can get 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Calm. That's like getting a month for free. Go to justthrivehealth.com and use the promo code SIMPLE to get 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Calm. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. Back to our episode. I also love the idea of a working clock, which is something that executive functioning coach Sarah Ward talks about in some of her trainings. She's a genius. I have tried to get her on the podcast, but she mostly does professional development and I haven't been able to get her on yet. So that's a work in progress. But if you Google Sarah Ward working clock, she has some YouTube videos that help to explain this. And I'm actually going to put a picture in the show notes of how we use her working clock. And I'll talk more about that in this episode too. So in addition to having analog clocks in most rooms of your house, especially the rooms where you're entering and exiting, putting the shoes on, getting out the door, in the bedrooms for bedtime, having one clock that sort of sits on a stand. I have mine on like a plate stand, like one of those little wire stands that you would put a display plate or a fancy plate on. And I lean my clock on that. That's because when we use the working clock, we take an expo marker and we actually color on the clock to indicate how long until we leave. Again, I'm going to put pictures in the show notes so you can see this. I have a particular clock that I like for kids. I'm going to put the link in the show notes to that too, simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 352. But I think in general, most analog clocks, as long as they're pretty simple visually and they have numbers on each little, I don't know what those are called, notches, right? So a one at the first notch, a two at the second notch. If they don't have any little lines on it, it's kind of hard to tell what time it is. That probably wouldn't be as good of a fit. If it doesn't have the numbers on it, that probably wouldn't be as good of a fit for kids learning. So have the clocks everywhere, right? Talk about them, point at them. Have the working clock where you take the expo marker and you draw on it. So when we're teaching a kid how to tell time, Usually first we teach them to the hour and then the half hour and then by fives, five, 10, 15, 20. I think it's really important to teach that time is flexible. 
Now, how often do you say, oh, I'm going to be there at 3.58 or I'm leaving at 6.52? You don't really, right? We estimate time and we usually estimate it to the closest 10 minutes, 15 minutes, sometimes five minutes, but that's less common. And the reason that we do that is because time is not exact. Time is flexible. When you say baseball practice starts at three o'clock, you can get there five minutes before, five minutes after. Generally, there's a window of time that is acceptable. And as parents, when we're the time bosses, we don't necessarily tell our kids that, right? There are certain things it's okay to be five minutes early for or five minutes late for, like baseball practice. There are other things that it's not okay to be late for, like a doctor's appointment, for example. If you show up 15 minutes late, you might lose your time slot. So when we're talking about arrival and departure, we can tell kids, it's okay if we get there a few minutes early, it's okay if we get there a few minutes late, or it's not okay if we get there a few minutes late. So they start to understand what is truly flexible and what is not. So when we're teaching that time is flexible, we are also teaching that we have to respect time. We have to respect the time of others. It's rude to say you're going to be there at 3 o'clock and not show up until 4 o'clock. It's a little rude to say you're going to be there at 3 o'clock and show up at 3.15, but most people will forgive that. So showing up on time sends a message, right? It says, I value you. It says, I value your time and that this is important to me. And I think you can teach this through experience too. If you have a kid that is expecting a friend to come over for a play date at one o'clock and it's 1.15 and the friend isn't there yet, you can say, yeah, sometimes it's hard to wait. Sometimes it's hard when other people are late, right? Sometimes teaching the impact of respecting time can be learned when you feel like your time is being disrespected. Now, of course, I probably wouldn't say, oh, your friend was 15 minutes late. They're so rude. But I would reflect on how that lateness makes them feel. Oh, when your friend's running late, it makes you feel a little bit impatient. It makes you feel a little worried that maybe they're not coming. It's hard when other people are late. And if you have a kid that's a bit rigid, sometimes that lateness is a good practice. Practice showing patience and tolerance for other people who are operating on different timelines. So when we're teaching time management, it's helpful to do it around a daily routine. So the working clock, which I'm going to show you in the show notes, is probably the best way, in my opinion, to do this. Um, you actually take the clock and with an expo marker, you draw different time periods, right? So if your child wakes up at six o'clock and they have to leave at seven o'clock, you take a red expo marker and between six and 6.15, you color that space in and you write breakfast. And then between 6.15 and 6.30, you color that space in and write get dressed, right? You're actually mapping out their morning routine on a clock. What this does is it forces us to consider not just a checklist of tasks of things we have to do, but how long it takes us to do each of those things, which is something a lot of kids don't consider. So when we work together with our kids, we can guesstimate, how long do you think it's going to take you to eat breakfast? And then you eat breakfast and you time them. Oh, it took you 20 minutes. That's probably about the average amount of time it takes you to eat breakfast. Let's draw that out in your morning routine that you need 20 minutes for breakfast. And then you have that working clock on a stand near the breakfast table somewhere so they can see it and reference it and realize when the breakfast period has ended so they can start to pace themselves within the clock. Now, not every kid is going to take to this immediately. It's something that a lot of kids are going to need a lot of exposure to. So not only does this help with routines, but this also can help kids that get really overwhelmed by things like homework. So 
a kid who's really hesitant to sit down at the table to start homework probably feels like it's more than they can handle. But the truth is, maybe their math homework really only takes 10 minutes and their reading homework really only takes 10 minutes, so 20 minutes all in. But if they don't have a visual conception of time or know what time feels like, it can feel impossibly huge to tackle something like this. So if you get out the clock and the XO markers and you draw it on, all right, let's allow 10 minutes for math, 10 minutes for reading, and they start to develop that familiarity with what 10 minutes really feels like and realize, oh, that's not that intimidating. I can do this. They can start to estimate time better. They can start to understand how long a task really takes. And if it is a bigger task, let's say it takes an hour, how do you break that task down into different steps to make it more feasible? This is a really important skill. It's important for our kids to be able to plan out their activities, knowing how much time each thing is going to take. And it also helps us as parents avoid overcommitting our kids and giving them more than they can handle. You know, and I think lastly, we've really got to be role models. And we have to talk through our process. If you're a time boss, you're doing all this in your head, you're not explaining to your kids how you're planning out time and you're planning out all their time for them, then you're probably taking away opportunities for them to learn. How can you hand back over some of those skills and do a little teaching in the process? Kids learn through observing, and they also learn from direct instruction. You might have a kid that needs one or the other or both. But you can be a positive role model for demonstrating good time management skills in your own life. And also, being really honest when you make a mistake, when you miss an appointment, when you didn't write it down, when you show up a half an hour late. And let kids know it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to mess up. And none of us are perfect with this stuff. This is another example of a time when it's important to take some of these things out of your head and verbalize them. When you're prioritizing tasks. When your schedule's overwhelmed and you have to cut things out. Tell your kids about it. Let them know that you're constantly working on this. And the more we have on our calendars, the harder it is to do well. So if you have a kid that's really overwhelmed, doesn't manage time well, I would also take a hard look at whether they're overscheduled or overcommitted because we have to set our kids up for success. And if they're constantly being rushed around and showing up late, it could take a toll on their self-esteem. So making sure we don't give them more than they can handle. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's been helpful for you. I look forward to chatting with you next week.